Generations Church Podcast. Listen, y'all, I have gotten to know her in the last few months, and what I want to tell you more than she's a writer and a blogger is that she has a heart for Jesus, and she has a heart for women, and she has been praying and praying for you tonight, and she has changed her message because she has something super specific just for us tonight, and I just am so thankful for how gracious you are to join us tonight. But everybody, let's welcome Susie Eller. I'll bring that over. I have bronchitis. How fun is that? I believe that the enemy is swinging wildly because he does not want me to share this message. I sounded like a 90-year-old who had smoked five packs a day yesterday. And I asked the Lord to heal me. I'm not contagious, so when I'm praying over you, I promise you're not going to get this the change of season or something has grabbed my throat with a vice. But pray for me as I speak tonight. Let me just uh, welcome his spirit. Father, good grief, we love you. <laughs> we love you so much, and what a privilege it is to gather together, standing shoulder to shoulder as women of faith, as daughters of a Most High God. Lord, I know you have a word for us because, Father, you took me down a path I wasn't going to go. It's a simple message, Father, but I know that I know that I know that it's your heart. Open our eyes to see. Open our spiritual ears to hear. And Lord, we surrender to whatever it is you have for us tonight. Amen. It was 4 a.m. in the morning. Pitch dark. Suddenly it felt like a cement block had landed on my chest. I had no clue what was going on until I heard this. How come you're sitting on Gaga? <laughs> Why are you sitting on Gaga? Because I'm hungry. You're hungry? Do you know it's so early? Yeah. Why are you sitting on your Gaga and it's so early? They're mine. <laughs> it was two and a half year old Josiah, one of my six grandchildren. I have six grandbabies, seven, six, five, four, three, and almost two. And Josiah was sitting on my chest in the middle of the night. He didn't know what time it was. He didn't care that it was 4 a.m. He didn't care that it was pitch dark. All he knew is that he was hungry and he was gonna sit on the one who could do something about it. Well, about four years ago, 
I woke up in the middle of the night. It was a very different situation than this one. It was pitch dark again, but this time I was the one hungry. I was spiritually, desperately hungry. Have you ever been there? I wanted more. And I want you to understand that I didn't want more stuff. Because you can have storage bins and garages and barns full of stuff and be desperately empty. And I didn't want more favor from God. Because the moment that Jesus willingly walked toward Jerusalem toward a cross and laid down on the cross to suffer, to take my sin and the world's sin upon his self so that I could stand cleansed and made whole, a daughter of the Most High God. There's not more favor than that. I wanted more of Jesus which honestly meant I wanted less of everything else that looked like faith, that kind of resembled faith. My faith had become complex, weighty. It was tangled in with a lot of other things. It was tangled in with my own expectations. It was tangled in with ministry. It was tangled in with others' expectations. I didn't grow up in church. There was a definitive moment in my life where I realized that Jesus was real and that somehow that gift was for me. But over time, what is supposed to be a simple, beautiful gift had become heavy. And I lay in the darkness and I cried out saying, God, I'm hungry. I'm hungry, Father. The next morning I woke up and I went and sat in my favorite chair and I flipped open my Bible to the Gospels, and I had a plan. I decided I was going to step into the Gospels and read them as if I had never read them before. I was going to listen to Jesus as if I had never heard a word or read a word. I was going to sit around the small circle with he and the disciples, and I was going to listen to his teaching. I was going to watch his example as he poured out and loved others and yet went alone to be with his father so that he could feel back up. Or I was going to watch his example as he dealt with people who adored him, but also people who mocked him and wanted to harm him. And I had one plan. Lord, scrape away everything that looks like faith or resembles faith and let me be reintroduced to who you are and let me just walk with you. I was going to stay in the Gospels for maybe two weeks or a month. It became two years. Two years. For two years, I sat in those Gospels. And this is going to sound really odd, but I started to feel like the 13th disciple. But we're all modern-day disciples, right? Right? I started to ask the Lord, how do I live this in my everyday faith? Lord, not all these other things, but how do I just follow 
you. It was a very personal encounter. And there were times that I spent weeks in one passage. It's crazy how we have this Bible and how we often, and and with good intentions, use it almost as if it's a chore. I check off a chapter, or I check off, done, I've done. But I begin to live in these Gospels because, see, there's real-life encounters. There's real-life conflict. There were real-life times when they came against mountains that seemed insurmountable. There were real-life moments when Jesus looked into the eyes of a disciple and saw something in them that they couldn't even fathom yet. And yet it transformed them and later transformed the men and the women who followed him. And then generations later, is still transforming people. The theme of tonight's gathering is Encounter Jesus. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for myself. To encounter something is to come face to face with it. To encounter something is to confront it, as I did that night, confronting the fact that somehow this beautiful gift had become complex and weighty. I loved Jesus with all my heart. But to be honest with you, at that point in my life, I wasn't sure that I liked some of the trappings that came with faith because I couldn't find them here. To encounter something is to meet it in a meaningful way. One of Jesus' first encounters was with the disciples. In Matthew 4, Jesus had been led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and there he was tested and tempted for 40 days. It was brutal. He emerged from there physically hungry bruised and battered, and yet victorious over the enemy, and overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. He walked in overflowing. He walked out overflowing. And I sat in that passage alone for weeks, because there are times we walk into a battle, and we fail to understand that because Jesus lives inside of us, we walk in overflowing. And we're going to walk out overflowing. After this temptation, Jesus began to gather people because that's what he does. He was gathering people because he had a mission to heal the brokenhearted, to loose those who were oppressed, to set people free to bring good news, to open blind eyes, and to begin to gather people around him. And one day he saw a group of men pulling in their heavy fishing nets. Their their cheeks were salty. Their hands were rough. They were tired, and he interrupted their life. And he said this in Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said to them, come with me. Come with me. Other versions, maybe your Bible says, come follow me. Maybe your Bible says, come after me or simply follow me. But the invitation is the same. 
When I began to study that invitation, because I wanted to know what was it that Jesus was saying to these men. This was an invitation to immediately detach from their present sphere, their present sphere of interest to attach themselves to Jesus and his plan for them. I want to say that again. He interrupted them to issue an invitation that they would immediately detach from their present sphere of interest to attach themselves to Jesus and walk with him. It was an invitation to encounter Jesus on a personal level. Come walk with me, guys. Come walk with me, sis. Come walk with me, Casey. Come walk with me, Susie. We all have that invitation, and it is our overarching invitation as a believer. This is what I began to hear as I sat there for two years. I heard this overarching invitation over my life and over yours. Susie, come with me. Follow me. Wherever I lead you, whatever I ask you to do, whatever price I ask you to pay, whatever miracle I want to do in you, or whatever miracle I want to do through you. That was the overarching invitation. And that invitation, when we say yes, makes him our savior. But it doesn't stop there. Because honestly, we have an invitation every single day. Come with me. Come with me, Susie. We often ask this question, and maybe it's just me. Have you ever asked yourself, or ask God, what's my calling? You guys ask that? What's my calling? Why am I here? What's my purpose, Lord? You look around and you see others and it feels like they've got it all figured out. What's my calling? What's my purpose? And as I remained in this book one year, two year, it eventually went into three years. I'm in the fourth year. I'm reading other parts of the Bible, but I'm hanging out in the gospel still. As I hang out with the disciples and Jesus, very rarely do you see Jesus stopping to answer questions like, what's my calling? Or what's my purpose? And if you're a planner like I am, just the fact that I'm kind of tiptoeing into the sacred ground makes you a little nervous. Susie, I have a journal. I have a one-year, five-year, ten-year plan. Me too. I have a whiteboard, girls. I have a whiteboard in my office. I am a planner. I'm a dreamer. I'm a goal setter. It's the way that God has wired me. But what I realized is that my calling was very different than my whiteboard or my journal or my one-year, five-year, ten-year plan. This is our calling. If you've ever wondered what your calling is, I'm going to just clear the air right now. Our calling is to listen to his voice daily and say yes over and over again. That's our calling. 
Our calling is to listen for his voice and say yes over and over and over again. Because i got to tell you, my whiteboard doesn't compare to God's plans for my life. My dreams, my goals, and there was a time I couldn't even dream. I didn't know what God wanted for my life. I wrestled with that. And the freedom of knowing that I can plan, I can dream, I can have a whiteboard. This, that makes me sound super nerdy, doesn't it? I mean, it's a really cool whiteboard. And it is full because I'm a dreamer. But what I realized is that my plans are secondary to his. That when I listen for his voice daily, if that's my calling, and I say yes over and over again, there's a real good chance that he sees something I don't. There's a really good chance that he sees something inside of me that I can't see myself. There's a really good chance that his ways are higher than mine. So I plan, I dream, I do all of those things. But my calling is to listen for his voice daily and say yes over and over again. And this invitation is where we begin to encounter him daily, daily, in our relationships, in our dark nights when we're crying out. This has been a tough summer for me and my family. My baby girl went through cancer. My baby girl is 30 years old. My mom is going through cancer. I'm a cancer survivor, but you know what? Something happens when it touches your child or someone you love. In those darkest hours when I'm waiting eight hours in a waiting room while my daughter has a double mastectomy at the age of 30, I'm listening for that invitation, Lord Jesus. I'm not listening for your voice. And whatever you ask me to do here, if it's to trust you, I say yes. If it's to put my fears in your hands, I say yes. Whatever it is, dark times, good times, Lord, in my relationships, in my job, in my ministry, let me walk with you. Let me listen for that invitation. Several weeks into walking through the Gospels, my faith began to transform. It got lighter. And one day I received a phone call. And this phone call was for something big. I'm with a ministry called Proverbs 31 Ministries, and I love that you're going to be studying Lisa's books because that is one of her best books yet. But I work for Proverbs 31 Ministries. I volunteer for them as a writer, and I do some other things with them. And I got a phone call out of the blue, and it was an invitation to do something that felt big. Have you ever been there? You get a phone call, and it feels big, and you're excited, and yet you want to run out the door or hang up the phone. And I was going to say something super spiritual like, wow, what a great offer you just gave me. It was to be part of an international initiative to partner with other ministries across the world in India and in other um, places across the world 
to reach women who were oppressed and make a difference tangibly. My heart beats with that, but it felt big, and big is relative. You might be sitting there saying, Susie, that would be exciting to me, or that's not big, or that's, that's really big. Big is relative. Sometimes big is when you have a little girl or a little boy, and something's not right. And you're doing all you know as a parent, and yet they're anxious, or they're hurting, or they're struggling, and you can't fix it. And God is asking you to believe that he marked that child, that he has a plan for that child, that he loves that child even more than you do, which seems impossible, but it's so true. Sometimes big is stepping out of your comfort zone. Sometimes big is going up a harder path of faith like forgiveness because God wants to clear out some of the wounds in your heart so you can live free. Big is relative. How do we respond to that? I started to say this. I started to say, wow, that's so great. Thank you for thinking of me. I tell you what, let me get back with you in a few days. Let me pray about it. I'm going to get a little bit of counsel. I didn't say it, but I was forming the words, and it was going to sound so spiritual. It wasn't spiritual at all. It was my delay tactic because it felt big. And while there's nothing wrong with praying over something, there's times we absolutely need to. While there's nothing wrong with godly counsel, when I was listening to this voice on the phone and feeling my heart trembling, in anxiety and fear and excitement. I thought back to the time that Philip and Jesus were standing in front of a crowd of 5,000 men, which meant somewhere between 20 and 40,000 men, women, and children. And they had a little basket with not enough food for one person. And Jesus said to Philip, after Philip said, Lord, what are we going to do? And Philip looked at him, Jesus looked at Philip and said, you feed them. This is real. This is not a pretend story. This is real. Put yourself there. Philip looks out over the crowd. And he didn't do this. He didn't say, hey, that's a really great opportunity. I tell you what, Jesus, I'm going to get back with you on that. I just need to go pray for a few hours. He didn't, because he knew it was Jesus asking. And when we know that we know that we know that Jesus is the one asking us, inviting us to do something that feels big, like trust when your marriage is shaky, to give when you're not sure you have anything to give, no matter what that is. If Jesus is the one asking, it's our privilege to say yes and to surrender to that. When we say yes to his invitation, ladies, it leads to more, more. I'm going to finish reading this scripture, Matthew 4:19. Jesus said to them, come with me. I will teach you how to bring in people instead of fish. And there was nothing wrong with their old life. 
absolutely nothing. It's what they knew. It was a good commodity for the community. It was a business. It was the same old, same old. It's what they learned at their father's knee. And Jesus wasn't downing what they did. He was simply offering them more. You're fishing for fish, but I will teach you how to bring in people. And Jesus was leading them to purpose. He was leading them to new life, to a new way of seeing themselves. He was leading them out of a form of religion to a vibrant daily walk with Jesus. What I didn't understand when I was on the phone at that moment is that Jesus was trying to give me the desire of my heart, and I was fighting. And sometimes we fight the hardest when Jesus is trying to give us the greatest gifts. Lord, I'm unhappy. Forgive. Oh, wait, no. Lord, I tell you what, you fix them first. Make them say they're sorry. Make them straighten up. I thought you said you were sad. I thought you said you were tired of carrying this burden. We forgive, Susie. Sometimes we fight the hardest where God is trying to give us the greatest gifts. I learned to whisper yes where no wanted to take root. I learned that surrender is absolutely one of the strongest moves that we can make as believers. At about the two-year mark in this come-with-me journey, in the book that is out there, it was never meant to be a book. This was me and Jesus. But I learned so much about who he was that it showed up in a book. And later, walking with Jesus showed up as a devotional. But if those two things didn't exist, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful about the, church, the chapters and the words that I was writing in my own heart. And I started asking a different question. Instead of waking up and saying, what is my calling? What is my purpose? I began to ask this question instead. What can I do today to bring you joy, Jesus? What can I do today to bring you joy? And again, big is relative. We tend to think that he's looking at our whiteboards or he's looking at our ministries or he's looking at how good we are. And what I realized is that what brings Jesus joy is what is of eternal impact. And sometimes that looks different to him than it does the world. Maybe that I was rocking little Josiah who fought sleep like a tiger. Baby wise, all the books, we just threw them away. Nothing worked. My daughter was exhausted. And I remember rocking Josiah one night and sensing that somehow this brought God joy. And I don't know why. I don't know the eternal impact of what was happening in that moment. But God did whether it was the fact that there was relief for a young mama or somehow in the DNA of Josiah, he felt safe in my arms. I don't know. One day I was driving down the street and I was on my way to a wedding and I 
I don't know if you guys do this. I was picking up the gift on the way to the wedding because that's how I roll. And so I, I'm kind of short on time, and I'm passing this business where a friend of mine works, and I felt the Lord say, see her, stop and see her. And I did. I stopped five minutes, walked in, just said, hey, I just felt the Lord really place you on my heart. I love you. You are an incredible human being. And we prayed together and I got in the car. And I don't know the eternal impact of that. But I felt again, God just whispering, that brought me joy. Some of the smallest things that you are doing, ladies, are some of the greatest things in the kingdom of God. Don't you dare underestimate what you're doing. Don't you dare underestimate or compare it to somebody else. Because if you're walking with Jesus and you're listening for his voice and you're saying yes over and over again, then you're exactly where he wants you to be. And you're making an impact that you're not going to know until eternity. I'm so thankful to be holding a mic in front of you. I'm so thankful to get to hang out with you. But I think sometimes it's when I'm sitting in my house in my yoga pants and my OU t-shirt. If there's OSU fans, I'm so sorry. In my OU t-shirt. And I'm just hanging out with a little one that has some issues. And we're just playing. I think that those are the times I'm going to look back and God's going to show me, ah, Susie, right there, you were an instrument of mine. I was often, often, often surprised by the answer because sometimes it came in the hard times too. I was a parent of three. I still am a parent of three. They have married. Now I'm a parent of six. And then they've introduced six more. So our family is mushrooming. But there were times when I had three teenagers. When I gave birth to my children... I prayed and asked God to give me one every three years. I had three in 19 months, twins. They came in litters, and they came close together. And there were times when I had a one, one, and two-year-old that it was challenging. There were times when I had a 13, 13, and 14-year-old. It was challenging, and I would go into my room, and I would close the door, and I would say to the Lord, I don't have a clue what I'm doing, Father. There are times when I feel like I've failed. And even in those places, there's an invitation. I was a youth sponsor for years and years. And I would watch teenagers fall in love with Jesus. And then I'd look back and see them on the back row. And I knew that in some way... They felt like they had failed God. And I remember sitting beside a teenager one day, and I said, what are you doing back here? And he said, I messed up. I'm not worthy to praise God, Susie. And I said, sweetheart, it's not about your worthiness. It's about his. Let's go up there and get what you need, okay? There's an invitation for all of us. So, I want to get really practical in this last part. What does it look like for us to encounter Jesus? 
The first thing I want you to know is that the invitation is for every person in this room, every person in this city, every person in this world. Jesus did not go up to the disciples and ask them to share their rank in society. He did not ask about their education. He did not ask about their talent and gasp. He didn't even ask them about their relationship with God. He based it on two things, and one is the love of a father for humanity. And number two, by what Jesus could see in them that they could not. He saw world changers. He saw leaders. He saw a rock. He saw men and women who in the hands of Jesus, who in the hands of a heavenly father would change the world. This invitation is for you, and he will meet you right where you're at. And if you're here tonight and you say, Susie, I am so far from where I first began, he meets you where you are. That's who he is. Second, make it practical. Listen for your invitation every single day. I'm going to challenge you to do that. I'm going to challenge you to begin to listen for an invitation, to trust, to walk closer, to give, to take your eyes off of things that really don't matter in the long run so that you can run after those things that will make an eternal difference. And last, act on it. Surrender. I have an invitation. It says you are cordially invited. This is all of our invitation. And all it says simply is, will you come with me? Will you bow your head for a moment? Jesus, Lord, you know every woman in this room. And Father, you have an invitation for each of us to follow you wherever you lead, whatever you ask, whatever price you're asking us to pay, whatever miracle you want to do in us or through us. And Lord, you know the hearts of your daughters. You know, Father God, what you desire to give them, which is more. Ladies, as you bow your head, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. Goodness, he loves you. He knows right where you're at. He knows your spiritual hunger. He knows the weight that you're carrying in your marriage. He knows that desire that you have to do something in his name and it seems impossible. And if you're here tonight and you don't know him or you're far from the relationship you once had with him, I want you to know he's perched in your boat. That's what he did with Peter. He just showed up and perched in his boat because that's where Peter was and he wanted to be with him. He's perched in your marriage. He's perched in your relationship. He's perched in your heart. 
And he's not asking you to make a one-year, five-year, ten-year plan or tell him how good you're going to be. He's not looking at any of that. He sees in you what you may not be able to see at this moment. If you don't know the Lord, would you raise your hand so we can pray together? No one's looking. If you don't know him or you're far from him, I'd like our prayer team to come up, the beautiful Foundation Church prayer team. Open your eyes, ladies, and look at me. Josiah came to me in the middle of the night because I was his gaga. They're changing my name on me. I was going to be grandma. It turned to gaga. Now sometimes it's gawkers or gagamole or gagadoodle. I don't care what they call me as long as they call me, right? Josiah came to me because he knew that I could satisfy his hunger. And I want you to know tonight that Jesus is here to satisfy that hunger for him, for more. If you need prayer, as we worship, just come up. I'll be down here. I'm going to smell like a cough drop. I'm so sorry that I know how to reach heaven with you. If you want to walk out of here and say, this was the night I stopped doing church. And I started walking with Jesus. Let us pray with you. Let us believe in that for you. And I just want to warn you, this is not easy. Walking with Jesus is not easy. Because he will take you up harder paths. And he will take you out of your comfort zone. But goodness, the beauty of it is that you're walking in the deep with Jesus. What a trade-off. It completely changes you. It completely changes those who you spill that relationship with Jesus over. And you exchange wrestling in your faith for resting in your faith. I'm going to slip down here and just going to lead us in worship and just stand and worship with us. And if you need prayer, come here. But I would ask that you do this with a heart of surrender. Jesus, I'll go wherever you lead me. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Lord Jesus, I'll pay the price that you asked me to pay because the price you paid is so far greater. And Lord, if there's a miracle you're trying to do in me, I open up every bit of me, from my head to my toe to my past to my future to my present. I let you in. I invite you in. Take up residence in all of those winded places. And Jesus, if there's a miracle you want to do through me, I'm your girl. I'm your girl. 
In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv. Thank you.